All right, so guys, we've been in Luke chapter 14, but we're not going to be there long. Um, I want to just kind of, you know, I want to get through this and just really get to the heart of the message. Because really, when I think about this, when, I, when the Lord started speaking to me, I started thinking about what is it that causes us, you know, that, you know, that, to causes us that lose, to lose our fire, our zeal, and our passion for God. You know, I mean, you know, some days you're just like on the mountaintop. It's like there is no stopping you. You're just full of fire, full of zeal, full of passion. And then the next day it's like you're down in the dumps. It's like, what happened? Where, you know, where'd, that, where'd it go? And so we want to talk about that this morning. Uh, when one of those at the table, as Jesus is, this is in Luke 14, one of those that was at the table, what had it just happened, a little background in this, Jesus had just given a, um, a rebuke to the host. He had been invited. This was one, another one of those setups. He'd been invited to someone's home, the home of a Pharisee, and the whole thing was a setup. It was a trap. And uh, so, I mean, Jesus just like in this guy's face, you know, just kind of uh, gives him a good solid rebuke. In that time, in that culture, probably even today, not a cool thing to do, but Jesus wasn't interested in being cool. He was interested in being truthful. And, um, you know, you can either be cool or you can receive the truth this morning. And so, one of the guys, after he heard this, is kind of like, you know, this guy's like, okay, it's time to change the subject. And he says, there's one guy just kind of like, we don't even know who he is. He says, blessed is the one that eats at the feast in the kingdom of God. Remember, we've been talking last week, we talked a lot about the kingdom of God. And um, Jesus replied, he was talking about the kingdom of God. We knew that the Jews were waiting and hoping for, expecting the kingdom of God. But when the kingdom of God did show up, when Jesus showed up and said the kingdom of God is at, is at hand, it's not what they were thinking about, not what they were hoping for, not what they were expecting. And so he was rejected. But Jesus just kind of like takes off on that. And he says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many guests. At the time of the, uh, at the, time of the banquet, he sent out his servants to tell those that had been invited, come for everything is now ready. And they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another one said, I just got married and I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered the servants. He says, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done and there's still room. And the master told his servant, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you that not one of those that were invited will get a taste of my banquet. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. But the bottom line is that Jesus tells this story someplace else, and he uses it almost as a, uh, the king is giving a marriage for his son, a wedding for his son. And he's inviting people to come to that wedding. We call that the great wedding supper. It's spoken about in Revelation. I'll get to that in just a second. But, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, one by one, they begin to make excuses. Now, I want you to think about this. We read the story all the time, and sometimes, you know, um, we become so familiar with it, we're not picking up on it. But, you know, think about this. How many of you have ever bought a house or ever bought a field or a piece of property without ever looking at it? Nobody here has. I, I tell you, I, I actually have. <laughs> and I actually sold a piece of property to a guy that never looked at it when I was in my real estate business. But it's one of those rare occasions. And uh, 
But, but the, guy, the guy that makes the first excuse, he says, I just bought a piece of property. I've already purchased it. Now I've got to go look at it. I mean, does that make sense? No, that's a pretty lame excuse. And the other guy says, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I've got to go try it out. Well, in that day, in that time, in that culture, if you bought five yoke of oxen, well, first of all, you're pretty wealthy. And, you know, you got to be pretty savvy. So you wouldn't buy five yoke of oxen without checking it out. I mean, it's just like, you know, uh, buying a used car. I mean, you want to drive it. You want to test drive this thing. You want to see if it really is what it's all, you know, built up to be. And so that's another pretty lame excuse. And then the other guy says, I just got married and uh, I can't come. And so, um, you know, I mean, think about that. I mean, you know, why you just got married, but you can't come to the wedding feast? You can't come to my banquet? Seriously? You know, I mean, you know, now he might have been thinking um, there, there, there was a provision in the Old Testament, and I'll, I'll get to that as, as well in a moment. I want, to, uh, uh, I want to just kind of like get down to, if you, you guys that are back there on the soundboard, uh, I want you to, or on the uh, computer, if you just jump down to Deuteronomy chapter 24, because this is kind of interesting. This parable is very much like the Matthew parable. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is talking about, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. And he sent out his servants to call those that were invited to the wedding, but they weren't willing to come. And again, he sent out other servants telling them those that were, telling those that were invited, See, I've prepared my dinner and my oxen, my fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it, and they went on their way, one to his farm, another to his business. See, the two, the, I mean, the two are so similar. And, uh, and so he starts out talking about a wedding, a great feast, a wedding, and then he gives the reasons for those that wouldn't come or couldn't come or didn't come. And then he ends with another marriage parable about a man that was married and he couldn't come to this wedding feast or couldn't come to this great feast because he had a wife. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, now this is the only scripture that I could think of that this guy was thinking about. It says, if a man has recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duties laid on him for one year. He is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to his wife. Now, who said Christianity was boring? I mean, no work for a year. Uh, don't go to war. Just spend time with your wife for a year. Hey, I'm, who's in for that? All right, yeah. All right. So what happened? I mean, what's, what's going on with these guys? You know, it's just like, you know, he, it, I think what Jesus is trying to say, kind of sandwiched in between the marriage parable of the son and this other guy that didn't want to come uh, because he had just recently got married was these guys that had, you know, they got caught up in life. They got caught up in busyness. They got caught up in work. Uh, they had left their first love. It was just like, you know, God was not important to them anymore. Uh, God's way, his word, prayer, church, none of that was important to them anymore. They're just kind of like, you know, they, they were married to life. They were married to the oxen. They were married to work. They were married to the pleasures of this life. And they had lost their zeal. They had lost their fire, their zeal, and their passion. Remember this, uh, this song? This is an oldie. And, you know, I want to just clarify one thing. When I say that this is an oldie, it's not because I experienced it. Okay, it's not because it was an oldie uh, that I knew back then, although in this particular case I did. It's kind of like, you know, you saying, I like Bach or Beethoven, you know, it's kind of like that, okay. 
Uh, this is an old Keith Green song, but listen to these words. He says, my eyes are dry and my faith is old. My heart is hard and my prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be alive to you and dead to me. Oh, what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. And see, I want to just tell you that I believe that every one of us get to a place like that in our Christian walk. That our hearts get hard, our prayers get cold, our walk with God kind of gets old. And it's not, it's just like we're invited. We're invited, like Ralph was saying, we're invited. But you know what, I, you know, it's just like God don't bother me with, with these things. You know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm caught up. I, I'm going to put God on the back burner for a while. I got other things to take care of. And when those things are taken care of, then I'll get on with God's business. But I want to tell you something right now, guys. I want you to hear me. If you were saying that in your heart, and maybe you're not saying in your heart, but you're just living it out, you know, that, you know, you keep saying and thinking that when I get caught up, when I get caught up in life, then I'll get on with God's business. I want to tell you that the enemy will make sure that you never get caught up so you can never get around to doing what God wants you to do. So what causes you to lose your zeal and your fire and your passion? Number one, I think one of the first things, and I see it happen a lot, um, but I think one of the things that, that causes us to do that is just us getting caught up in sin, just like these guys that had these excuses of why they couldn't come or why they didn't want to come. But the Word of God says in 1 John chapter 2, it says, Don't love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away, but the lust of it, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. You just need to, I want you just, just as I go through this, I just want you to silently just ask yourself in the stillness of your heart, am I doing, it says, that he that does the will of God abides forever. Just simply just ask yourself, and be honest with yourself, am I doing the will of God? Then the second one I want uh, to read to you is from Revelation chapter 2. And, uh, he says, uh, the Lord Jesus is speaking to the churches in Revelation. He said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those that are evil, that you have tested those that say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. They found other things in life that were pleasing them more than God. So... Sin is one of the things that can cause you to lose your fire, to lose your zeal, to lose your passion. The second thing that will cause you to lose your fire, your zeal, and your passion is not only sin, but disappointment. And uh, let me just give you an example of that. Now, the guys, you know these scriptures. You all, I, I believe that all of you or most of you know these scriptures. But this is, uh, this is uh, the story about Elijah. And uh, Elijah had done this incredible work. I mean, uh, there had been three and a half years of no rain, in, uh, you know, it's kind of like New Mexico, three and a half years of drought, uh, but absolutely not a drop of rain. Um, there was uh, famine in the land, and all because Israel had turned away from God. And then Elijah shows up on the scene. Um, he has this uh, contest with the prophets of Baal, and uh, there are, I think, four, 800 of them that are put to death, 400 prophets of Baal and Asherah uh, prophets. And uh, 
Ahab goes back, and he, with excitement and zeal, he goes back and tells Queen Jezebel, man, Elijah showed up. You would not, you're not going to believe what happened. Fire fell down from the sky. Here comes the rain. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had executed the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel, the queen, sends a message to Elijah and says, so let the gods do to me, little g, uh, and more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. What she said is, I'm taking your head off too, dude. You know, you took the heads off of 800 guys that were kind of like my supporters. They were my representatives. They were my friends. They, you know, they helped me in times of trouble, and they were with me, and you killed them all. I'm coming after you. And when he saw that, he ran for his life and went down to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And I want to just tell you guys that sometimes in life, when we get so disappointed, it's not just like, a, oh, I just woe is me, I'm tired of living. I want to tell you that there, there comes a time uh, in, in many people's lives when, you know, um, that they feel like death would be better than life. You guys remember the story? Remember the movie, the Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life? And remember when, uh, you, know, um, you know, he was at the bank and the, and the old grumpy banker was there and, you know, was just asking him what he was worth and he said he had a life insurance policy. And, and the banker said, you know what, you're worth more dead than you are alive. And, uh, you know, I think that sometimes in life we, you know, the enemy just begins to sow seeds in our hearts and our minds that, you know, it, it would be really easier to check out a life than it would be to go through the pain, go through the sadness, the, just the heartache that I'm going through right now. It just, you know, these are suicidal thoughts. These are real. And this is what this great man of God, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah, is having these kind of thoughts. I Just like, I, you know, I wish I was dead. If there's someone in here that's thinking that this morning, I'm going to tell you that, you know, that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And uh, the enemy does not want to see you fulfill it. Remember what the scripture says, that the thief, Satan, has come to rob and to steal and to kill and to destroy. And through suicide, one, that's one of the ways that he does that. And so Elijah goes on and he sa says, it's enough now, Lord, take my life, for I, I am no better than my father's. Then he lay under the broom tree and suddenly, listen to this, I'm going to come back to this in a moment. An angel touched him and said, arise and eat. And he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he lay down. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of the Lord, uh, or the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights. What that, what that means is that he didn't eat for another 40 days and 40 nights. We have Moses before him that did that 40-day fast, didn't eat or drink for 40 days and 40 nights. We have Elijah, and then we have G uh, Jesus in the New Testament doing that. And it's kind of interesting that both Moses and Elijah re uh, appear on the Mount of Transfiguration, these, you know, these, uh, all three of these men that did the 40-day fast. And so it says for 40 days and uh, 40 nights, and he went as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. That's what we know as Sinai. I want to tell you that now. I want you to think about it. You've got you to be with me on this, okay? Because the journey that he took was about 200 miles. Now, I, now let's think about it. What's 200 miles from Santa Fe? How far is Deming from Santa Fe? 300 miles to Deming. Okay, how about Elephant Butte? Is that about 200 miles? All right. 
All right, let's think about it, okay? Today, I want you to just get up, and I want you to walk to Elephant Butte. All right, that's a long walk, right? Now, now get it. Get, you got to get this. He says, because when he gets there, listen, listen, listen to what happened. So he goes down to Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. This is where God gave Moses the law. And there he went into a cave. He spent the night in the place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, in my mind, when I read that this morning, I thought, God, how about 200 miles ago? Couldn't you have said that? <laughs> Why walk 200 miles through the desert for you to ask me what I'm doing here. And I want to just tell you that sometimes there are consequences for the decisions that we make in life. That God, you know, you are headstrong. You, you got it in your mind. You know, you, know, you know God's plan for your life. I, God, I don't need you to tell me what your plan is for my life. I've already got it figured out. And so God said, really? You got it figured out? Go ahead. 200 miles later through the desert, and God says, what are you doing here? Seriously. And, I, and that's another good question for us to ask ourselves today. What are we doing here? What I mean, not just here, here, but in your life. Are you in the place that God wants you to be in? And see, apparently Elijah was not because God asked him the question. And let's read the rest of the story. So he said that I've been very zealous. I've been zealous for you. I, I had that fire. I had that passion for you, God. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They killed your prophets and the, with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And then he said, God said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountain and then broke the rocks into pieces. Have you ever seen a wind that strong? Never have I. A wind that's so strong that it breaks rocks into pieces? It says, before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake came, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a great fire came, but God was not in the fire. But then a still, small voice after the fire. And so it was when Elijah heard it, that still, small voice, and that's what some of you need to hear this morning, that he wrapped his face in a mantle, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and suddenly the voice came to him, and again, the voice said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing? Like, what, Elijah, what are you doing with your life? I mean, you have, he, he had run all the way out of Israel down into Egypt. I mean, he's just like, I'm, I'm done. I'm gone. And so I think that Elijah was just really disappointed that after three and a half years of being obedient to God and, and letting a raven serve him and, you know, having a drink from a little brook that dried up and then staying with an old woman and her providing for him. It's just like, it's not turning out right. And, and, and Lord, I'm just, you know, it's not, life is not turning out like I thought it was going to turn out. And that causes you to lose your zeal and your fire and your passion. And it's just, kind of, you become disappointed in God. The next thing that causes us to be, to lose our zeal and our fire and our passion is that we get wearied. It says that now it happened. A little background on this. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you three stories, three or four stories here. Elijah, and I'm going to tell you one about David now. But the background on this story is that David had already been anointed to be king of Israel, 
But now he, has, he too has left Israel and is living with the enemies. He's living with the Philistines. He has taken up refuge with the Philistines because it was more safer, it was safer for him living with the Philistines than it was in his own land in Israel because the king was trying to kill him. And he had done nothing wrong. It's just like life circumstances had just made life miserable for him and that he too was running for his life. That life was crazy. It didn't make any sense at all. And, uh, and so he's just like, let's get out of here. Let's just check out. Let's get out of here. But while he had checked out, uh, let me pick up the story and we'll see what happens. And it happened that when David and his men uh, came to Ziklag, that's where they lived on the third day, that the Amalekites, and these were enemies of Israel, had invaded the south uh, and Ziklag and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those that were there from small to great, did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and they went on their way. And so David's men came to the city and there it was, burned with fire. Their houses were all burned down. The entire city had been burned to the ground. Their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. And David and the people that were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinam, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. This is, his very best friends had turned against him. These are 600 of his closest friends are now his enemies, and they're thinking about, we want to kill him. Look, you know, this is your fault. We're going to put the blame on you, David, because, you know, if we wouldn't have followed you into the land of the Philistines and been doing something that we shouldn't have been doing in the first place, you know, our wives and our children, our houses would, be, would have been here, but we've lost it all, and now it's your fault. It says that, uh, but David, listen to this, but David, we're going to come back to this in a moment. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God, and David said to Abathar the priest, uh, Amalek, um, Amalek's son, Please bring me an ephod here. And, uh, and he begins to ask the Lord this question. He says, Lord, uh, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord, now listen, this is not something he found written in the Word. It wasn't like Second Chronicles. You could turn here and, and read this. You know, he needed to have a, 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 a rhema, a spoken word from God. Shall I pursue this troop and shall I overtake them? And he answered, pursue. God answered it, pursue. And you will surely overtake them, and without fail, you will help me. Recover all. You're going to recover all. All right. So David went, his 600 men who were with him, and he came to the brook of Besor, and he stayed where those stayed who were left behind. And David pursued he and 400 men. Listen, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary. They were so weary. They were so weary that they couldn't cross the brook. And see, I want to just tell you that weariness will cause you to lose your zeal and your fire and your passion. And see, when you're out doing things that God hasn't called you to do, David had been up fighting, you know, living with the Philistines, uh, doing things that he shouldn't have been doing. He comes back, and now he has to expend all of this energy in recovering his wives and his children um, he's made 600 of his closest friends now, or 600 of his closest enemies, and they want to kill him. They want to stone him. 
and, uh, uh, and he's just weary. He is weary. And I want to just tell you that, you know, in the book of Daniel, it says at the end times that there will rise up one that will try to wear out the saints. I want to tell you that's the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of the enemy, will try to wear you out. To try to, he'll try to get you to do everything he can do to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. I want you to remember this. I say this a lot here, but there are a lot of good things in life, a lot of things in life that we enjoy, that we have fun doing. There are some good things in life, but good things, the good things can become the enemy of the best things in life. God has the very best for you. Uh, he didn't say that I came to give you life and I want to just give you some good things on the side. He said, I came to give you the very best things in life, but the enemy wants to make sure you don't get the best things in life and he will distract you with the good things in life to keep you from doing what God wants you to do. The Bible says that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good. Don't become, what's the implication of that? You know, what, what is that implying? Let us not become weary in doing good. I mean, the implication is that, you know, that you can do some good things in life and you can become weary in doing those, do, uh, those good things. He goes on to say, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So what causes us to lose our, our fire and our zeal and our passion? Um, the next thing I want to talk about is being frustrated. And this is, comes from the book of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, it says that Jonah, Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. They were enemies. This is outside of Israel territory. He didn't want to go there. Um, but Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city, about three days' journey in, in its uh, width. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. I mean, he's a preacher, and he's preaching that God is going to destroy this, the people of Nineveh. Um, and uh, it says, and the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. He issued a proclamation, published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man or beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let, the, uh, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. That's just kind of a form of, of uh, just a, an outward form of I'm, you know, just humbling myself. Sackcloth and ashes. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to seriously cry out to God. And I'm going to, you know, make sure that God hears me. And uh, let everyone turn from, turn from his evil way, from the violence that is in his hand. And listen with this king. This is an ungodly king. I, you know why I love this story? Thank you. <laughs> because, you know, the, 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 you know, how many of you, and I know we've all heard this, how many of you have ever heard, you know, well, what about the heathen? You know, I, I'm thinking about coming to Christ, but what about the heathen? What's God doing about the heathen? What's God doing? How, has anybody ever heard that besides me? How many of you have ever heard that? You know, you know what about God? How's God going to reach the heathen? Well, this is how God reaches the heathen. This is how God reaches the unbeliever. Now, I mean, God sends Jonah to this ungodly nation, to this ungodly people, and this ungodly king says, who knows? Now, he didn't know God. He didn't know God from Adam. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn his fierce anger so that we may not perish. He knows nothing about God, knows nothing about the God of Israel. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented. That means he didn't go through with the plan he had for the, the destruction of the city. 
uh, he relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And so um, it says, but what God did, uh, I want you to hear this. What God did, think about it in your own life. What God did or what God did not do displeased Jonah. And Jonah was exceed, Jonah, Jonah, ex, uh, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Who was he angry with? Hello. God, okay. Anybody in here ever been angry with God? Let's see. I've got two honest people in here. Okay. All right, thank you. It says that, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, I know you, God. I know what you're like. You know, yeah, you're the God in heaven ready to beat everybody up. Is that what he said? You're the God just waiting for me to step out of line so you can slap me around. Is that what God said? He says, I knew that you are a gracious God, a merciful God. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. That's what Jonah said. I know you. I know what you're like. I knew that when you sent me there, you weren't going to destroy those people. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please. Now listen, doesn't this sound like Elijah right here? O oh Lord, please take my life for me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Jonah, 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 Jonah. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? I mean, Jonah's getting it on here. I mean, he's not holding it back. He's not holding back anything. And Jonah went out of the city and sat to, uh, to the east of the city and made a booth for himself, and he sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. And the Lord God appointed a plant. This is like a squash plant or something over his head uh, to save him from his discomfort. Now, let's think about this. Think about the goodness. Even when Jonah is mad at God, Pointing his finger at God, God is trying to, to comfort Jonah in his discomfort. And uh, so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God, uh, uh, when, but when dawn came up the next day, God's sun rose. God appointed a scorching heat wind. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And these are kind of like life's lessons that we learn. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And I, Jonah, Jonah's not holding back. He said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. I do be well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And there's those thoughts, those suicidal thoughts that come again. You know, that's just like, man, I am so mad. I'm so frustrated. It's just like, you know, I'm just done with life. I want to just check out of life. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You didn't make it grow, uh, which came into being uh, overnight, and it perished in a night. And then God says, listen to the heart of God. He says, and should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 people that don't know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle. And when God's telling Jonah, he says, Jonah, he says, man, you know, you know you're, you're mad. You know, I mean, I, my heart is for people. And you need to see this out of the story that God loves people and he loves you. 
no matter where you are today. You may be mad at God. You may be, I mean, things in life may not have turned out. Your finances, your schooling, your education. Uh, maybe your marriage is not where you think it should be right now. And you're just kind of angry and disappointed and frustrated and mad at God. And you're just kind of like, man, I'm just walking away. I'm just going to like check out God. You just do your own thing and let me do mine. But, you know, that's, these are the things in life that cause us to lose our, our zeal and our fire and our passion. And, you know, if you need a restoration of that this morning, if you need a restoration of your zeal and your fire and your passion, you need to get back to where you once was, uh, where you once were. You know, God is calling you this morning. He's just saying, you know, you know I, I know you're mad at me. I know you've been angry at me. I know you've been frustrated. You've been disappointed in me. And maybe sin has caused you to harden your heart toward me. But God's saying, you know, I want to restore your zeal and your fire and your passion this morning. And so how do we get back? How do, you know, what is the road back? You know, um, well, the, the, the final point that I want to make is that I, I want to just take you back to what happened in Elijah's life when he's running from God and running from the queen, and it says he's speaking to God. And he says, it's enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. And he lay and slept under the broom tree, the broom tree, and suddenly an angel touched him. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food for the 40 days and the 40 nights. He was touched. And that some of you need a touch from, a fresh touch from God this morning. Let me read you just another quick story from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, and just, again, a little background on this. Israel's in a bad place. Um, Isaiah is the prophet. Uh, Israel has turned its back on God. Uh, but God has not turned its back on Israel. And I'm going to just tell you that God will never turn his back on you. Uh, but Isaiah is saying, in, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And his train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. Each, had, each one had six wings. Two he covered his face with, and two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with the unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, Here I am, send me. Now, I'm going to tell you that you know, when you get frustrated and get angry and you get bitter, disappointed, and sin comes into your life, we have a hard time hearing what God really wants us to do. And maybe we're in that place that Elijah was in, in that cave, and God may be asking us this morning, what are you doing here? Is this really what you think I've called you to do? 
Is, are you in the place that I've really called you to do where you're fulfilling or you will fulfill the will of the Lord? And notice that, you know, when he is touched, that something amazing happens. He's, all of a sudden, he can hear. He can hear. He can hear the voice of the Lord saying, whom will I send? And then he has a heart. He has that fire, that zeal, and that passion is restored. And he's saying, God, here I am. Send me. I'm ready. I'm ready to go now because you have touched me. Now, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people were grieved and every man for his son and his daughter. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He strengthened him. He got away, got out by himself. Maybe there's no one that you could pray with. Sometimes you just got to get alone with God by yourself and say, God, I need a fresh touch from you. I need a, a new anointing. I need you to restore my fire and my zeal and my, my passion today. Now, listen, this, this is from, da, uh, from Daniel, last scripture here. And uh, Daniel's seeing some, incre uh, some incredible things, crazy things, you know. I mean, he's, uh, you know, a captive in Babylon. He's interpreting dreams for the king. He's second in command. And then all of a sudden he sees this vision, and, and it's just like this vision just has wiped him out. And again, the one who looked like the Son of Man touched me and gave me strength and said, Do not be afraid, O man highly esteemed. He said, Peace, be strong now, be strong. I think that's what God would say to you. Be strong, church. Be strong.